Is there anything you'd like to have small talk about? Um, Christmas. What about it? I cannot believe it's almost Christmas. Oh, I know. <laughs> Every month feels like it's taking forever, but also going by so fast. Well, I yeah, I work six days a week now, so it seems like everything's just rushing forward no matter what. And training has just been like, wake up and do eight hours of work and then do it again the next day over and over and over again. Well, that sounds super fun. It's draining at the end of the day. I've been going to bed at like 9 p.m. just passing out. (laughs) But I'm excited for Christmas because I want to see your face when you open some of your presents. Well, there's only about 200 of them over there, it looks like, so... (laughs) That should be an event in itself. We went a little overboard this year, but it's been a really rough year, and I think we deserve it. That's a good point. It has been a sucktastic year. I think I think it's good that we bought a buttload of stupid crap we don't need, because, you know what, what else are we going to do with this shitty year? I know. I mean, this year I was fired, had to go back to therapy, found another job, and had to deal with the pandemic and all that on top of it. Now I just want to give presents to my friend and hope he's happy with them. Oh, that's sweet. I'm very sweet. (laughs) Sometimes. (laughs) Let's see. I was in quarantine for six months straight doing nothing. And then then I got fired. Mm -hmm. And then I got a new job. And then I got my old job back. And now I have more jobs than I want. (laughs) It's been a lot. It's been a year. And then we had to read this book. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, moving on. Hello, and welcome to Gross Misinterpretation, the podcast that looks at popular media from a queer viewpoint. I'm Joshua Gross, and this, everybody who has been wondering, is my amazing new co-host, Reed Wilder. Hi, I'm Reed. I like reading, and I didn't just choose that name for the pun, but it did help. Uh, pop culture and cats. Love cats. Talk to me about cats. Cats are good. My queer credentials, which is a term I'm going to use forever now, mm-hmm. are that I'm a transgender man, so he, him. I know my voice can be a little her, but don't get it wrong. Sexuality-wise, it's a bit more complicated, since I'm unsure which label fits me best. Maybe pie, pan and buy, because that seems nerdy and hilarious. Is that a thing? No, but I want to make it one. How could it be a thing? Because bi would just be two and pan would be multiples above two. But some people think that bi should encompass all genders and not just the two. And so, like, I don't really feel... But that's why it's called bi. That's why there's different names. I know, but at the same time, like, I feel like the word bisexual fits better than the word pansexual, even though I'm attracted to, like, people of all genders and across the spectrum so it's like pie well it sounds delicious (laughs) anyway i tend to just default to queer since it answers the real question in everybody's mind when they see me (laughs) yeah i think that's good i'm a big queer that works yeah we're here we're queer let's talk about books yeah now that the intros are out of out of the way let's dive in today we're discussing the pop culture train wreck that is ready player two by ernest klein for Ugh. a little more context on the subject we turn it over to reed so for anyone lucky enough to have missed ready player one it's basically a bloated gary stew adventure 
<laughs> starring an overweight, internet-addicted teenager obsessed with 80s pop culture in our near-future wasteland, which, mm, scary thought. And basically, everyone ignores reality for the virtual world. That sounds familiar. Mm, yeah, I know I do that. <laughs> our awful main character, Wade Watts, searches through male-dominated pop culture references to find Easter eggs hidden by a billionaire creator of the virtual reality mindsuck, the Oasis, who died and introduces a dumb contest to become his heir. Wade wins the contest, the girl, and seems to learn nothing along the way. Nothing, no. <laughs> he really doesn't. And for reasons I can't entirely understand, but also kind of do, the book became really popular. <laughs> well, it's sneaky. Like, the first time I read it, I was like, this is super fun. But I think I got sucked in by the beginning concept and just let that carry me along without really paying attention to the fact that it was sucking harder and harder. Yeah, because at first it's just like, oh, I know that reference. Oh, fun. I know that reference. I kind of like the idea of going on this pop culture treasure hunt. Yeah, it seemed like so much fun. I was like, I want to do this. And then one day I was listening to the audiobook by Will Wheaton. And I hated every single moment I had to spend in this character's brain. Okay, to be fair, Will Wheaton could ruin anything. <laughs> That's unfair. Armada might have just sucked, too, because I listened to the audiobook of that. <laughs> anyway, back to the context. We're off topic. <laughs> so, this book became very popular, especially with a certain set of the population, you know, nerds. It was turned into a movie by Steven Spielberg in 2018. That movie managed to change most of the details and the pop culture references, but still not turn out any better. It's a miracle how that was happening. <laughs> I, I did like the part with The Shining. That that was a good part of the movie. It was very interesting and welcome addition, but the whole movie still sucked. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In a whole new way. Yeah. Yes, that's, yes, that's right. It didn't just suck in the way that the book sucked. It sucked in its own sucky way. It's a miracle how that can happen. It is. Anyway, the movie was moderately successful considering the massive budget oh, yeah. <laughs> that it cost. And Ernest Klein decided to jump back on the train and write a sequel book just so he could sell a sequel movie. Which, you know, is a good good reason to, to want to write a book, I guess. Uh, yeah, who wants to, doesn't want to write a book just so they can get another movie deal? Right, and why would you want to tell people that? Like, oh, okay, I'll read this crappy book you banged out just for a movie sequel. I know, like, if that's your motive, keep it to yourself. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I would have kept that motive to myself and just raked in the money. Yeah. Anyway, I hope that helps bring you up to speed, but... If not, don't worry. You don't have to have read the first book to hear us bash. <laughs> discuss the second one. Now that the context is out of the way, it's time for some dueling summaries of Ready Player Two. I know it feels like we already gave you a summary, but this is that was about Ready Player One. We're gonna we're gonna talk about Ready Player Two from now on. <laughs> and I don't even remember if I actually did a summary. Hold hold on just a minute. It wasn't linked. Oh well I don't usually link it. I just hide it somewhere and oh. spring it on you. <laughs> Like a panther. Like a penis. What? <laughs> that was funny. I'm hilarious. Oh my goodness. I'm sorry. I've also been through like a lot of talking today. You're also very giggly. I am. Okay. I guess I did sort of do a sim summary. It's, it's a little short, but it's supposed to be. <laughs> but um, let's see. Oh, I do. Do I go first or do you go first? Do you want me to go first? No, because mine's really short. I'll okay. go first. All right. <laughs> My summary of Ready Player Two. A rich, powerful incel in the future is bad and continues to be bad through an exploration of the author's own interests. Wow, that was straight to the point and so true. Mine goes a little bit more off the rails. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> okay. 
a living toxic nerd obsessed with a dead toxic nerd unleashes a virtual demon into the world without even thinking about the consequences. <laughs> After shit blows up in his face and he puts the world in danger, he has to rely on the knowledge of others to collect MacGuffins based on what Klein thinks a female nerd would care about. <laughs> Along the way, he repairs friendships and relationships he doesn't deserve, and a moral dilemma is introduced without anyone caring about the ramifications. Also, isn't it weird that he has a friend perfectly suited to solve each challenge? The odds! Oh yeah, that's a good point. We can discuss that later. <laughs> um, but yes, yours was way harsher, um, as I expected, because <laughs> you seem to uh, just vibrate with hatred towards Ernest Klein in this book. I don't mean to, but he makes it really easy. So before we get into specifically step-by-step different um, Horcrux searchings, um, <laughs> we're going to start with um, what's the, the specifically queer parts of the book, because, you know, that's what we do. Um, and there's two main queer things in the book. There is um, There is a trans character in this book, which is which is definitely there. <laughs> and there is um there's H who we learned at the end of the last book is um not an awesome white dude but a lesbian black woman. Um the although, horror. I know. But mostly just sounds like an awesome white dude most of the time. Um although she does get some good jabs in this time around. Um uh, but let's start with uh Let's start with the trans person. Let's That's see. That's me, right? <laughs> Not you in this case. Um, I don't even know how to say that. I've just been saying Logren in my head, but who really knows? Oh, that sounds better than Lohigrin, which is what I've been saying. I guess we should have listened to Will Wheaton. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on. Okay, so... I know what you want me to discuss first is, like, what good trans representation should look like. The thing is, that's really hard because, one, it's not all one bucket of representation. There's a lot of different ways to be trans and to show that someone is trans. What we really want, though, is not to be relegated to a surprise, a horror, people to vomit over it. So far, you're describing... um... Ace Ventura. Ace Ventura, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's always on my mind when trans representation comes into mind. What I really want to see in a character who's transgender is someone who, one, is just a person, which this book does get right. This character... Right, they don't have to be trans for a reason, necessarily. They can just be trans. But at the same time, it it's introduced for no reason. Like, there's no reason to tell us this character is trans and to go into it the way it is... It's just kind of like, look at me, this character is trans, I can do this. And also, this has nothing to do with the book or the plot. I'm just going to... Even to say, it's just... It it feels gross. Well, the character had to do with the plot. The character did, but the fact that they were trans didn't. It was just like, no. shoved in, like, and also, this person is trans. And that would have been fine if it had been done better, I guess, and, like, shown... Or even had some sort of, like, ending point. Like... I thought this character might have been, like, a love interest, and that's why we mattered that the character was Oh, yeah. Trans. Like, I thought, oh, there is a reason we're meeting this character. And, I mean, I guess there sort of was, but not enough of one. No, because they just kind of disappeared through most of the book and then showed up at the end, like, okay, we got the thing you need to slay the dragon. So, um, let, now that we've talked about that, we can talk about every single thing that Ernest Cline did wrong with his trans character. Oh, my God, there's so much of it. So, first of all, um... Wade talks about how he's 
Well, first of all, there's how he finds out. Ugh. Um, so it really bothers me how he finds out because he literally just violates her privacy and, like, looks into her medical records to find out that she's assigned male at birth, which also isn't even, tech, like, the words that we use now. Right. And so it feels like Klein didn't even talk to a trans person when he was writing this. Like, oh, it's 2020. Trans people exist. If you're going to write a trans character, at least talk to one. I mean, and he lives in Austin. It's reasonable that there's got to be at least three that live there, right? Yeah. And I mean, the internet exists. I met 17,000 trans people <laughs> oh, just going right. on to Reddit. <laughs> the internet does exist. Ernest Klein could use the internet to interact with people like his characters do. But it's really frustrating to me. Like, he... At one point, he's like, I didn't... Earlier in the thing, he's talking about how he doesn't violate the privacy because he doesn't want to know the reality behind the avatar that he watches for low grin. Oh, yeah. And then later, he's like, well, I'm going to reach out to her, so I'm going to violate her privacy now. Yeah, it was strange and unexpected that he was just going to, like, do this very morally dubious thing and find this out about them. Um, but it's cool because he's fine with it because he's had sex and all sort of variations yeah so that's the next part because he talks about how he wouldn't have been as cool with um this person being trans but he is now because of his um head trap technology that lets him have sex with oh my favorite line everything ah the three kinds of sex gay straight non-binary right (laughs) like i've had gay sex i've had straight sex i've had non-binary sex and all the non-binary people i know are like what the hell is non-binary sex (laughs) (laughs) is it a special move we should know (laughs) is it a like talk to someone (laughs) in the community that you're writing about (laughs) and it's just like it's sort of like, I hate to say this word, but like how people look for tranny porn because they're uh-huh. like, it's an offensive way of saying that we can see you as a human, as a sexual desired object only. We're not seeing you as like a regular person. We know you're human because we can sexualize you. And in this case, he's saying like, I'm okay with that she's trans because I have sexualized trans people. So I know they're human because I can feel sexually attracted to them. I'm going to rant and rave about this a lot later on um, because it just drives me up the fucking wall. But he has this technology that can specifically be used to gain empathy about other types of people than himself. And he does not. And he could have literally done that to be like, to see what the life of a trans person is like. If he actually gave a shit. And Ernest Klein could have written it that way. Instead of saying, like, I'm okay with this because I've had all this kinds of sex. It could have been, I'm okay with this because I saw the hurt and the pain and the struggle that these people go through on a daily basis. Right. This is the first thing that, like, got barfed onto Twitter as soon as the book came out um, was that passage. And I was like, oh, God, we're we're getting right into it. And, like, of course I want to see a straight, cis, white guy being attracted to a transgender woman. That would be the dream, but not like this. That's your dream, huh? It's not my dream, (laughs) but that's how it should be. There should be books where it's okay that this is a transgender woman and that a straight person is attracted to them because they're a woman and not because they have freaky sex on virtual reality. I like what you have here. Thank God for virtual porn, making straight dudes attracted to trans women since (laughs) 2045-ish. Yeah, I'm hilarious. You are hilarious. 
So this, um, like a lot of things in the book, um, has been labeled a bit um, performative. Yes. Um, and an attempt at inclus- inclusivity, um, which may be um, Ernest Klein. Like some of the criticism from his previous book kind of sprinkled into his head a like little trying bit. Trying to make like weird amends for it, but without actually doing the work to make amends. Right. Like he wants to make up for some of that bullshit in the first book, but he didn't actually want to go to any effort or anything. Like I'm sure he like tried. Um, and I give him more credit than Reed does in my little book demon blog but someone has to <laughs> like well because the other side of that coin though was the toxic nerds who are like oh my god he's putting a trans character in his book i know and so like is he being too woke or is he not being woke enough which is it and that's like the hard conversation because like i want to be like given some points for trying but i also want to take those points away for doing it badly <laughs> yes and you know what? That can be a thing. Yeah. We don't have to have one or the other, I guess. Negative 50 points, but plus 10. Yeah. <laughs> On the scale I just made up. <laughs> and what is the name of that scale? The Reed scale. Oh my God. Is that the best you can come up with? The Reed with? acceptability scale. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. So the other um, the other queer aspect of this book would be H, um, the black lesbian character. Really? Yeah. I mean, once again, lesbians are allowed to exist for the sake of existing. But, yeah. And I think she had more of a point in the first book, too, because she was she was subverting Wade's expectations. Yes. And so in that and that was kind of good, I guess. You have to follow like, kind of a gimme at the end. Like, look at the twist. This white guy you liked all along was a black lesbian. Okay, yeah. And then it's bad also because it's a twist. Yeah. So Once again, we're dealing with a lot of good and bad. Yeah. I mean, it was slightly nicer in this one that she had her own life. She had a fiancé. She was getting married. Oh, she yeah. She gave Wade barely any attention anymore. I mean, she wasn't a large part of the book, but she did have this, like storyline of her life where you know it seemed like she went and she did good things and she hung out with her fiance and she took her money and she didn't do terrible things into the world like Wade did I mean she did agree to release that stupid virtual headset thing but you know there was a lot of money involved in that and I kind of get it (laughs) yeah but once again um, Ernest Klein doesn't really delve into anything about the queer community really no there's no reason for her to be a black lesbian there's no or the black community for that matter yeah the blackest thing about this book seems to be the print section and yeah it kind of just seemed because that's his idea of what a black lesbian would like and what a white girl would like in the 80s yeah (laughs) i couldn't really think of any other reason why he would put that in there except you know black people might like this we will get to that later yes um, anyway, um, H does get some, uh, some little jabs in that I couldn't help but enjoy, even though they were written by Ernest Klein, um, like her criticism of the whiteness of Lord of the Rings. Which is so true. We've had that argument so many times. Yes. Um, and the, the inherent racism of the, you know, the, the dark skinned orcs. Um. It does annoy me that like Wade just kind of shuts that off though. Like. Yeah. And the toxic nerds on Twitter were all like, oh my god. Look, I love Lord of the Rings. We have a Lord of the Rings bookshelf. I've bought the entire trilogy like six separate times. But even I can admit, 
it's problematic. It's okay to love something and still admit that it's problematic. Yeah, I mean, as long as you understand that it's problematic and, you know, are aware of the issues involved, then there's no reason not to continue to enjoy your Lord of the Rings. This is not the same for Harry Potter, though. I just want to throw that out there. Super different. J.K. Rowling's still alive and still fucking things up. And she's using her humongous amount of wealth and power to oppress an entire section of humanity she can go fuck herself at least tolkien's dead and can't continue to do anything yeah he's a dead old white guy (laughs) okay we've gotten off topic again all right so moving on there's several parts to this book um because just because i mean there's parts to every book but this book (laughs) seemed like it had specific sections because we had the first section where, well, we'll just start with the first section. The first section had to tell us what's been going on since the last book um, and kind of set up the the catalyst for the, you know, the inciting incident. And it was legitimately the worst part of the book and the hardest to get through. Oh, it was such a terrible bunch of bullshit. Uh, yeah, you're right. It I hated every moment of it. And Wade is like this big, rich dick face from hell. Who and I mean, people's privacy and doesn't give a shit and doesn't care about the First Amendment and sues people and just yeah. throws money at every problem that he creates. And he's supposed to be like this, though. So, I mean, I can't fault Ernest Klein for making him like this because he's supposed to be like this because... I guess he's supposed to have a journey where he becomes not like this, but Ernest Klein didn't really get us there, I feel. No. Um, but also, didn't he already have a journey? <laughs> yeah, he already had a journey also. So, I mean, how many more journeys is this kid going to have before he finally just gives up on being a decent human being? Depends on how much money Ernest Klein wants to make from his movie deals. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> So that was part one. Do we have anything else we want to say about part one? It's weird that he was so obsessed with a relationship that he had for one week. Oh, yeah. Like, he was literally with Samantha for one full physical week. That's Artemis. Artemis. And then he was a dick, so they broke up, and he was obsessed with her ever since. Spoiler alert, just like the creator of the Oasis. Right. And I feel like they had more in common in the first book than they do in this book. In this book, I was like, why the hell would she want to go anywhere near him, let alone date him? But we'll get to that also. Also, at one point, he talks about them having sex as making the beast with two backs at every opportunity. And I literally had to stop reading and just put gross in the notes because it upset me so much. That is gross. And that is definitely the the, the male side of, you know, that experience, I'm sure. I literally wrote, like, is he 12 years old? This is juvenile. <laughs> I mean... And I mean, he's like 19 or something at this point. So, yes, but ew. <laughs> Oh, that's another thing about the first part of the book that I noticed, is that for a while there, it kind of seemed like it was in Wade's voice, not just from his perspective, but also using words and phrases that Wade would use, like, you know, Beast with two backs. Beast with two backs, or, you know, other profanity, Um, and it was kind of annoying, because I'm like, what the fuck does Ernest Klein think this is, Huck Finn? (laughs) Um, But then it also went away. When he, you know, had to start talking about the plot and other characters, it just, he didn't do it anymore. And I thought that was really weird. It was a weird change. Like, Wade's talking about, like, this is my life and this is all the awful things I do to people and all the waste of money I have. Yeah. Then it's just like, up, oh, onto the story. <laughs> so, shard one. Um, <laughs> Shards? Not shards. Shards. 
Um, Sharders. We're finding shards of the siren soul. So that is um, weird digital pieces of the digital person of Kira. Kira. Um, who is the woman of uh, Halliday's obsession. Super obsession. Nerd, toxic, bullshit obsession. Wife of his best friend. Wife of his best friend. And the first shard <laughs> is... Shard da, 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 <laughs> is found by Lonegren. Lone, oh, you added an N that time. There is, I'm, yeah, I'm not going to be able to pronounce this name correctly ever. Well, let's. Lohigrin? Lohigrin? Okay. The first shard is found by the trans character um, who has their own, like, low five group that's like the Wade's high five group, and they are for some reason obsessed with them. And it's dumb. <laughs> but now that Wade is fat and rich and lazy again. Um, he really can't do anything. Like he He's just useless. And he like spends years not finding the first shard. And so like the trans person and their group are like We're doing gonna... everything that they did. Like he did in the first book. Um, and they like they find it. Yeah, he literally like says, I will pay a billion dollars to the person who gives me information on the first shard. That's right. He offered a reward because he was too stupid now to figure it out on his own. Um, and, you know, at least a trans person got a billion dollars. Yeah, and it seemed like they were doing a very nice thing with it. Getting a house for them and all their poor friends to live in together. Yeah. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah. Um, the one thing about it, though, is that this particular shard introduces um, two different things. One is that only the heirs of Halliday can... Touch physically, the, touch the physically touch the shard and, you know, capture it. Um, however, it also establishes that anybody else can find it, which is confusing later in the book when they make Wade do everything. I know. Especially in the Ninja Princess section where they're making him play the video game while Shoto tells him how to do it instead of just... Letting Shoto do it and then collecting the shard himself. Yeah. Like... Uh, happens in other times so i was like did i miss something or is ernest klein really that lazy of a writer why not both <laughs> well well because if it's both that means i'm both stupid and ernest klein is lazy you're not stupid it's stupidly written there we go so that's shard one moving on to shard two shard two <laughs> takes place in a um 80s pizza parlor and you know what i got a lot of creepy vibes from this section before we knew the whole plot of the movie because he is sociopathically obsessed with this person and stuck in the past. I mean, we knew he was stuck in the past, but he is like... Hold on. Who is he and who oh. is he obsessed with? Because that's a little unclear. Halliday is yes. like super sociopathically obsessed with Kira. Like, he has recreated from memories the very first time they met. Well, he's done creepier things than that. We just haven't got to it yet. But this is like the first yeah. like sign I had that like, oh, this is wrong. This is awful and creepy, and, like, I was concerned. <laughs> yeah, so you probably had the correct reaction. I, of course, was thinking about myself. Um, <laughs> because I played a lot of video games in pizza parlors in the 80s when I was young. So I kind of was like, yeah, you know what? That's where I did play a lot of video games was in pizza parlors. In fact, I used to, when I was five, my mom's boyfriend and I used to go out every full moon and go get pizza and I would play video games and then we'd drive home and howl out the windows like wolves. Aw, that's 
crazy and fun. Yeah, we were the Howlers Club, and we go out every full moon. Oh, my know. little heart. Yeah, I don't know why I told that story. You should keep it in. It's adorable. <clears throat> anyway, this section is also the reason why I had the song Obsession stuck in my head for literally, like, three weeks. Oh, you know what I thought was really kind of weird and interesting was the shout-out to the female creator of the, the game. Because they're like... Oh, yeah. I thought that was a neat... Thing and I was like, this is interesting history. I like learning about this. But on the yeah. other side, I was also like, this, this is what he thinks a girl would care about. Like, it's not like she's playing any video game. She's playing this one specific video game with a female creator, with a female protagonist. So it's kind of like, did he choose this because a, he wanted to be girl power? Well, maybe Teenage Kira was like a super feminist. But it's the 80s, so how did she even know? <laughs> It's not like she could have Googled the creator or figured out this Japanese lady's name and history. Well, I suppose that's true. So it's just kind of like... Maybe she had encyclopedias read. Maybe she did about video games. Well, (laughs) about arcade games from the 80s. (laughs) No, I doubt it. I, I had encyclopedias in the 80s and I don't remember them talking about video games. So like with everything in this book, I kind of look at it two minds like... This is neat to have this information and to know this, but also, why did he choose this? Yeah, I expected to find this part a little boring after we got to talking about the video game itself, because he literally plays through every level of the video game. And we have to hear about most of them. But I wasn't bored. I thought it was kind of weird and and interesting, and then the history of the video game, like you said, was super interesting, too. So, you know, this... This part is like 50% creepy and 50% interesting. It gets a little bit creepier once he touches the shard and experiences memories from Kira's point of view. Oh, yes. Once again, his empathy machine shows him how to have empathy and use his machine to have empathy. Um, and he doesn't. He just goes, oh, my God, Isn't I'm in her strange. brain. It's so weird. What's going on? And well, I mean, it is a little weird because he's like, how could I be experiencing this woman's memories when she didn't have one of these fancy head trap devices back in the day? But huh. we find out more about that later. And it makes me upset. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of obsession, one of the things that I did was um, whenever he'd mention an 80s song, I would pull it up on YouTube because I know a lot of 80s songs by sound, but not by title. So... I wasn't sure what Obsession was, but I had a thought, and then, yes, when I played it, I was like, oh, yeah, I know this song, and then had it stuck in my head for three weeks. I should have done that, because I also know 80s music, but by ear. Yeah. <laughs> and so a lot of the references was like, whatever, I don't get this. <laughs> I mean, the whole Prince section, I basically I, was like, I don't listen to Prince, I never did, I know Party, like, it's 1999. We will talk about Prince later. Oh, okay. Did you have anything else to say about Shark 2? No. Moving on to Shard 3. Um, This is the kids' area. So I guess this... Was this area mentioned in the first book? I feel like it was. Kind of. It was... It was kind of mentioned because, like, he talks about, like, this is where you start when you get into the Oasis. This is how, like, your teacher when you're a kid and stuff like that. Which is neat and all, but it just kind of felt like there was literally nothing here. Yeah, I feel... They didn't have a task or anything to complete because Wade was a bored kid who had already completed all the tasks. So, get the shard and go. Yeah, I also might have done these shards out of order, but we're going with this order. Um, Yeah, so I thought it was a neat idea, but it wasn't explored very well because it wasn't really the point. Like you said, there wasn't a shard to 
Well, I mean, there was a There was shard. a shard, but there wasn't a quest or a thing that he had to do because he had already completed it in the past. Right. And... Which was boring. A lot of it wasn't, like, nostalgia. It was just stuff that he came up with. Although there was that... What's it called? Great Space Coaster? Oh, yeah. I had never heard of this, even though it came out the year I was born and stayed on TV until I was five. So I feel like I would have been in the age group... But I had never seen it or heard about it or heard anybody reference it for my entire life. And I thought he had made it up until I actually Googled it and was like, holy shit, this actually exists. <laughs> I just think this section, like, it could disappear from the book one day and no one would notice it was gone. Yeah, here's the thing, though. <laughs> I think Ernest Klein wanted to use this section to Explore. delve into wade's tortured soul and like show us wade being sad about you know his whole family and neighbors being blown up in the first book and and, his drug addicted mother who died and then artemis out of nowhere decides to feel sorry for him you you know you can have compassion for somebody and feel bad that they're sad about something without also wanting to be their girlfriend um and i don't think ernest klein understands that no because it's like there is no reason really for Samantha to have given him more time of day or Artemis. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. He didn't do anything. He just got sad. That isn't a reason to to, you know, like somebody. I get sad all the time. Where's my girlfriend? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, no, I don't want a girlfriend. But... <laughs> yes, I understand your concept. <clears throat> anyway, moving on. Yeah. Boring part over. Did is there anything else you wanted to say about that part? I would like to walk down the street one day and see Elmo and, you know, Mr. Rogers talking to me. That would be fun. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I mean I'm a, I'm almost 40 now. So, I mean, I'd, I'd probably be fine if I didn't get to hang out with Elmo and Mr. Rogers. Well, but... I mean, like, if I was a kid, like, yeah, that'd be cool. Okay, that would be cool. Probably would have shit my pants. Oh, my heavens. <laughs> talking, Cut that out. <laughs> talking about that, let's get back to Shark 4. <laughs> Um, This is the John Hughes section, and I can say that I know that John Hughes movies are problematic, but I also have a lot of nostalgia for them because I watched quite a few when I was younger. Um, And so I kind of enjoyed the idea. I would really love to enjoy a fake John Hughes version of Chicago. That in itself seemed like a super fun thing to do. But at the same time, like, I... Like John Hughes movies as well. I grew up on them. I remember watching like The Breakfast Club when I was too young to understand most of the things they talked about or mm-hmm. happens. But it also the way that Ernest Klein described this town was terrifying <laughs> and oh, overwhelming yeah. in its execution. Yeah, once I saw you had written that down, I was like, oh, you know what? It was kind of crazy and, and manic. Like everything just seems pushed together. Time makes no sense. You go to, it's night at one place. It's morning the other. There's music playing. Right. It's <laughs> like he thought about this a little too much. Yes. Because and the high you... school. It's just like, it was... It was too much of a good thing. It was a lot. And, like, I was imagining walking down the hallway and seeing, like, so many characters and, like, three of the same person playing three different characters. Like, up oh, there's the John Cusack from that movie. There's the John Cusack from that movie. Don't get them confused. Although, I loved the John Cusack part where he's like, she was cute even in that movie with the headgear. And I was like, yes, I agree. <laughs> John Cusack is always cute. And I love her. <laughs> I can agree I to that. I literally made that note in my <laughs> in the book. It's like, I agree. She's adorable. But it just, the name dropping was, it never stopped. It was like, reference, 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 
reference, reference, reference. And I was over it. Yeah, and I feel like there's some things that he didn't think about when it came to the John Hughes section. Like, between the last book and this book, uh, Molly Ringwald came out with a manifesto about John Hughes movies and her complicated feelings about them, which I strongly doubt he read. No. Um, A woman's book? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it wasn't a book. It was just an article. But Yeah, he's not going to read that. And... The, there's problematic elements in John Hughes movies that he decides to reference. Like, Long Duck Dong! He could have just left it out. We didn't need to see Long Duck Dong uh, to, you know, experience this, but he was still there and, unfortunately, speaking in a racist way. And, like, the character acknowledges that it's bad, but John... John Hughes. Ernest Klein <laughs> didn't have to do it at all. Yes, he didn't have to do it at all. And just deciding to do it and then say afterwards, well, I know it's bad, is is stupid and bullshit. And you're not getting away with it, Ernest Klein. And then the other thing that he decided to leave in um, was the um, was the note on John Bender's locker. Oh, yeah. Ugh. That says fag on it. Um, and I was like, you, you could have left that out, too. I mean, he could have gone to John Bender's locker still. We just didn't need to know what the note said. Nope. But why miss an opportunity to throw in some awful stuff, but then say how awful it is that it's there? Yeah, he didn't even do that this time. Oh, I thought he did. Maybe I'm just confusing him with all the other times. No, he, he threw in awful things and then talked about, oh, isn't that awful? Yeah, he admitted that Long Long Duck Dong was bad, but he, he was fine with the fag, I guess. So many people are. Anyway, um, the quest. I thought it was interesting. I, you know, obviously I knew the whole Ducky story where the original ending had... Molly Ringwalding up with Ducky, but that people didn't like it, except nerds who found out about it later and were like, why didn't we get Molly Ringwald? But I didn't know about Robert Downey Jr., and maybe it would have been better with Robert Ducky Jr. (laughs) in the role. (laughs) Yeah, Ducky was the worst, and anyone who thinks he's otherwise is an asshole. In my opinion, that's just my my humble opinion. Um, But yes. But um, he's really gross. The quest was really hilarious. Um, and just imagining them, you know, hauling Robert Downey Jr. around and dressing him and uh, making him into Ducky was pretty funny. And the John Hughes part where they go to his house and get the script was lovely. Yeah, that was nice. And it seems like that was at least well-researched just because Ernest Klein is interested in that. But the things he's not interested in, he does not do the same amount of research. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it did have a moment there. It was It was sweet. It was nice. So my feelings about that were like... I liked it and I hated it much like the rest of the book, (laughs) (laughs) but slightly more like than hate. I just never would ever want to visit that world despite Mm. it being created based on my interests. (laughs) Sure. Okay. No, I'd still go. I know you would. (laughs) Also, I feel like (laughs) if he was trying to do like a more, I don't know, female inclusive storyline, we could have, he could have done so many different things and I wish he had done anything with Jennifer Grey's character in Ferris Bueller. She was my favorite character in that movie. She was the funniest character in that movie. She was the best and she didn't even get to be in the book. He, Wade actually plays a role, plays her role in a segment from Ferris Bueller, which annoyed the shit out of me. I was like, man, we could have seen Jeannie, but no, you had to do the fucking thing with the, it's just terrible. And it's not like Jennifer Grey's not all over the 80s. I know. Anyway, love Jennifer Grey. She's great. Yeah. <laughs> if I had written this book, it would have had like a hundred percent more Jennifer Grey. Yeah. In every in every shard. I get that. In every Horcrux. <laughs> 
Moving on to shard five. It is the prince shard. Woo! I don't care about prince. Yeah, I don't think anyone in your generation cares all that much about prince unless they're like a hardcore music buff or something like that. Or like they grew up in Minnesota, maybe? Is that it? Yeah. Like, I knew one prince song growing up, and it was Party Like It's 1999 because I was 10 in 1999, and it was the millennium, and everybody kept playing that song. That's it. That's all I knew for years. Yeah, when I was a kid, I was um I was getting the tail end of Prince before he turned into a symbol. Um <laughs> and there were songs of his that I really liked. I liked Diamonds and Pearls and I um I really liked Seven. That's my favorite and I was hoping Ernest Klein would put that in there and then it seemed like the whole section was moving towards that song and I was like, "Oh my god, this is awesome." Or at least that aspect of it is. Um, so I have some Prince nostalgia, but it's not like I'm like, you know, painted my bedroom purple and have posters of him everywhere. I just feel like there are so many more 80s musical icons that would have made a bigger impact in this book. I mean, Queen, Madonna, Bowie. <laughs> but those are also all white people. I know. And the thing is, I think he wrote, like I said earlier, I think he wrote this section for the black character because he thought the black character would be perfect to win this competition. On the other side of that coin, though, was Ernest Klein actually being clever by coming up with a great way of putting some more um, diversity into his very white, nerdy book. I just don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Should we give him the benefit of the doubt? This section was boring and I did not care about it. Yeah, I even, um, I, I read a tweet by somebody who's, maybe younger than you and they were like this whole section was a slog i don't care about prince and i don't know enough about prince so that the things were like interesting to me and even though i do care about prince a bit um even for me it seemed really long so long compared to the third one where it was like all right we got this and like i got most of the prince references like and I don't have that much of a knowledge of Prince. There were some things in there that I was like, oh, that's interesting, or I didn't know that. But there was a lot of them that, that really didn't require that much effort. I knew there was a little red Corvette. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There, there. That's about as far as I go. <laughs> that so. section was not written for me. <laughs> and it was weird, too, because they had to, like, go on this quest to get weird musical instrument weapons yeah. and, like, fight against it with music and... You know, reading... And also fist. Like, they had to literally fight. Yeah. And get a backup band to fight with them. Oh, yeah, that was After funny. performing the music and... Oh, that's right. Didn't they have to be a part of a battle of the bands? Well, they had to sing a song well enough to get the band to agree to back them up. And then the bands fought the other princes. It was a lot. It was a lot. And I did not care. I, it could have been done differently. And I it mean, could have been queerer. Just putting that out there. Prince, black lesbian, didn't feel super queer to me. Although, on the other hand, you know what would have been funny? If, like, in the first version of this book, this had been Michael Jackson, and then he decided maybe that wasn't a good idea. I literally <laughs> thought about that. I was like, I wonder if it started with Michael Jackson, and then they were like, oh. Hmm, maybe, maybe not. not. <laughs> maybe not a great idea. I think that we had the same idea. That's funny. <laughs> Because it would have fit all the boxes. What might a black lesbian listen to that was in the 80s? Mm -hmm. Michael Jackson. There you go. What might people recognize? Michael Jackson. But who might we not want to talk about right now? <laughs> Michael Jackson. 
Yeah, that, that part had some issues for sure. Um, moving on to Shard 6, this was the section dealing with um, the Lord of the Rings and to a, a, a greater extent the Silmarillion. <laughs> you say it, you can say it. <laughs> the Silmarillion. Really? Is that how you say it? That's how I've always said it. Because, oh. you know, those elves and stuff, Frenchiness, we always the just. Sil- the Silmarillion is what I've just always called it in my head. Okay, that's probably more accurate than what I've called it. <laughs> you mean the blue, 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 blue. Yeah, uh-huh. Anyway, I love Lord of the Rings, but I've never made it through the full scenario. Yeah, and I was kind of annoyed because I was like, oh my god, neither Wade nor me nor you apparently have made it through this book, um, which makes it all the more ridiculous uh, reading this part. Like, I kind of get why he chose Baron and Luthien because... Of the whole romance thing, and it's Wade having to do it with Artemis, and, you know... I'm sorry, what? The legend that... Wade is having to do it with Artemis? <laughs> Not like that, but they do the quest together, because it's a two-person quest. Oh, I see. Do the quest together. Yes, and Not Baron the beast and... with the... Not two, the beast with the two backs. Two backs, <laughs> yeah. But Baron and Luthien are kind of like the romantic story in the Silmarion that I do know about. Like, it's referenced a couple of times in the movie and right. in the lore surrounding Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and etc. So, I understand why he chose that part of it. Like, it makes sense in the overall structure and what he was trying to do. But I don't think enough people have made it through the book to, you know, give it as much oomph as if it had been Lord of the Rings or something. Like, the, like a quest from that book. I guess I didn't feel like it really had to. It was it was fine. It was it it was fine. It was fine, but as a Lord of the Rings lover, would have been cool if it was more. And if I could have connected with it a little bit more. Yeah, he probably thought the Lord of the Rings had been pretty well well covered by, you know, popular entertainment. Maybe he just wanted to try and branch out a little bit but once again he had the perfect friend to help him solve this quest the only friend apparently (laughs) because he's completely he was completely incapable he was about to get his ass handed to him by a giant wolf creature when she thankfully swooped in to save the day and i mean literally it just seems like he cannot the only one that he was able to solve is one that even current day him couldn't solve he had to rely on past him to have gotten him through the children's room adventure like he has literally done very few he hasn't done much of the work you're right he's a helpless little baby in this book yes he always has to rely on other people to get things done for him Hmm. and he's the one who's supposed to save the world yeah that's hmm yeah you know i guess this this part of the book wasn't all that interesting anyway because we really don't have a lot to say about it do we no and like we should (laughs) i should have more to say about the Tolkien world, but I don't. Yeah. The end. The end. Anyway. Yeah. Nope. On to Shard 7. <laughs> Shard. Shard 7 and the soul release. Um, <sighs> because, boy, I would have been pissed off if he had gone on all these quests to find these damn shards and then didn't do it, even though it's bad. So let's talk about that. So, well, Shard 7 was basically just going to castle scary pants and getting it right yeah and then and then he puts them all together sort of no he hides in the bedroom because 
Anorak comes by, and then Ogden Morrow, his best friend and the husband Halliday's of... Halliday's best friend. Halliday's best friend and husband of Kira, who the whole book is about, shows up dying of cancer and has decided to fight the pretend version of his dead best friend. Yes, that's correct. But for a little backstory, he had been, Ogden Morrow had been kidnapped and oh yeah tortured by the ioi guy from the previous book oh yeah whose presence here is completely pointless and stupid yeah he escaped from prison just to kidnap and torture ogden morrow to try to get the shards because they're based on things that his dead wife liked and ogden morrow does it up to a point and then stops and then artemis and Wade used these weird virtual real life things since they're all stuck inside the oasis but somehow still have camera connected access to the outside. That's right. They're trapped inside the oasis and being held hostage by Halliday's weird virtual self but they have a way to interact virtually mechanically with the outside world which has no useful purpose other than for this specific use for them to try to help rescue yes it's it's weird it's one of those french word things that i don't know how to pronounce oh deuce ex machina deuce ex machina yes yeah it solely that technology solely exists because of this one reason yes and so like they rescue ogden morrow Sort of, but the Anorak shoots the guy who no one cares about and was torturing everybody to prove that he's a good guy, kind of. At this point, yeah, that didn't convince me. I was like, no, you're still a bad guy. But then the IOI guy ends up shooting Ogden Morrow in his death throes. Oh, I forgot, but still, he doesn't die yet. He doesn't die yet because Samantha puts the helmet on him so that he can virtually control his avatar in the virtual world because he's the only person who can destroy Anorak. Well, he becomes the only person that can destroy him because of trans person. Yes, because trans person had to go on this other adventure that we got to see nothing of. Yeah, we didn't see anything of this whole adventure that they went on to to get this dork slayer sword for Ogden Morrow. Great name though and totally accurate. Yeah. But yeah, they had to go on this adventure that we heard very little about. They show up at the end. They have a sword. Like, here you go. Here's a sword. They give it to the virtual avatar. He defeats the bad guy. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, spoilers, by the way. Then he dies. (laughs) The bad guy dies. Right. And actually, Ogden Morrow dies, too. Everybody dies. Everybody dies. Everyone's dead. Except the people you want to die, like Wade. Yeah, he could have died. And then they put the shards together. Oh, and Kira comes back from the dead. Except not really. She's dead. She is dead and rotting in the ground. Many years dead. This is like a virtual version of her that exists for living people to enjoy. Interact with. Yes. And the worst part is, it was completely created without her knowledge. That's right. She she did not give consent to this. He tricked her into doing this by putting this thing on her head, telling her it does something else, when actually it's taking all of her memories and personality and everything and stealing it so that he can make this weird thing for... I mean, it's not even for him because he's dead too. 
but he tries to get it to love her, love him. Like he tries, he, he says like, I went through all these things. I tried to get her to love me. And we can forgive the real Halliday because eventually he realized that even this virtual copy of Kira still loves Ogden Morrow and will never love Halliday. No matter what he does, no matter what he tries to do, it's it doesn't work. And so Halliday apparently finally realizes she was never going to love him. And that's why he hid stuff away. And that's why he tried to lock Anorak away. But he did it badly and Anorak got out afterwards. So we're supposed to kind of forgive him for all the terrible things he did. But I don't. But I don't at all. He was a creep and he was awful and he violated people's privacy and Wade's following right in his footsteps. Apparently. He was a creep in the first book and we just found out he was creepier. Yeah. The ultimate creepier. He literally stole someone's personality for his own nefarious purposes. So then, like Harry Potter before him, <laughs> Wade becomes the master of death. Yeah. He can bring people back to life. But that is, once again, that's not what he's doing. No, he's bringing them back to a weird virtual life where they will never age, where they will never grow. He's not bringing them back from anywhere. He's, he's creating something new. Because it's not like you died and then, like, suddenly your consciousness came back to life and is in a virtual thing. That isn't how it works. Your consciousness was saved, sort of. At a certain point, too. Like, but mostly just your thoughts and personality, and then it's put into this virtual thing. So it's not really you. You're not being brought back from the dead. You're dead. This is just something for people to jack off to. And that's the thing. Like, it introduces this whole horrifying purpose like you have now alive ish kira ogden morrow wade makes copies of himself and his friends yeah wade brought back ogden morrow well i mean he created a new ogden morrow with the technology and then made copies of himself and his friends and sent them into space to explore space i guess and then the ending is like in the which is another great use of that technology personally because those people aren't going to die they don't need to be fed they can just hang out on that ship for however millions of years it takes them to find something neat to look at um but that isn't really explored either no all we get is like this weird ending letterish thing from the fake wade on the virtual ship talking about how life's going for the real people back home. That's right. Ernest Klein tried to trick us with this whole virtual version of Wade telling the story. And, like, you know that Wade and Samantha apparently got married and are having a baby despite the problems with overpopulation and the fact that they're all, like, under 25 years old. And the fact that Samantha wasn't given any reason to like him again. Mm. Nope. I mean, he didn't really do anything. He didn't really have a character arc. He didn't really prove himself to be not a scumbag. So she just decided it was easier to marry him and have babies with him, I guess. And the thing that I just really weirds me out is Shoto's pregnant wife. Like, they made a copy of her, but she's pregnant. Well, is the copy <laughs> pregnant? Will the copy have a weird virtual baby? No. I don't think the copy is pregnant. They made... <laughs> But we don't know. I don't think so. I mean, that's a temporary condition of a human being. They wouldn't have given a virtual version a temporary condition. Also, how would she have a virtual baby in a virtual pregnancy? I don't know, but how does the virtual version of her deal with the fact that she was carrying this life for nine months and now it doesn't exist anymore? 
Oh, well, that's true. So is it a virtual miscarriage? Maybe she just understands that she's the virtual version and she doesn't have a baby because that would be weird. It's all weird. It is weird and it's not very well explored. It's not. (laughs) And it bugs me. I don't know why that specific thing bugs me, but it does. Well, the thing that bugs me is, once again, the technology itself. Um, Because the first thing that I thought of was this could be really used to bring more empathy and awareness to people um, and connect them. And none of that's really explored at all. It seems to do the opposite. It's this weird head helmet that you stick on your head and get trapped in um, and that gives you a completely immersive experience. You feel what that person feels. You smell what they smell. You taste what they taste. You have sex with whoever they're having sex with. Um, And I was... still don't have empathy. Well, yes. And I guess in that capacity, it is kind of realistic because, you know, the first thing that human beings decide to do with it is watch porn, experience porn, and, you know, scam people for money. Yeah. So, I mean, that definitely would happen. But I think that, you know, organizations could be developed that were specifically designed to to give people an outsider's view of people that aren't like them and encourage empathy. But, yeah, I know nobody would probably care about it. But it also just seems to, like, separate people more because now you're, like, physically encasing yourself in a closed room. Okay, so you're literally physically separating yourself because yeah you're locked in a coffin while virtually interacting with people and like they say that the cops are no longer like going out on patrols they're sending robot versions of themselves out so it's just like weird police state stuff how much do we really need physical interaction though but if you only have these robotic (laughs) cops going around patrolling things they're never going to get to know and see human beings as actual human beings. They're just going to continue seeing them as problems to be dealt with from far away where they have no real fear. Well, that's a good point in the capacity of the cop situation. I know. I just there's so much that could be explored that's just kind of glossed over. I know because he had this very specific plot in mind, I guess, and everything had to just be bent around that instead of, you know, maybe using his brain a little bit more. Also, can I just talk about a random thing that bugged me? Oh, sure. So there's this thing we haven't really talked about called the motive that Wade's company creates, which is like an armored force field for yourself while you're in the virtual reality. Oh, I forgot about that. That's the thing that he's actually inside of while he's doing other stuff in the virtual reality. And it like it's like a tank. and it It's like a moving tank and it like can sprout legs and walk your unconscious body around and all this stuff. But the tagline for it that they use to sell it is if you're going to use lethal force to defend yourself, you better have a motive. Oh my God. My note for that was insert endless screeching here. (laughs) I didn't even think about that when I was reading it at the time. I just, I was, ah, yeah. (laughs) So that's cool. Because you know, no empathy in this world where we could have had some. So, so that's that. What 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 are your last thoughts? Your your overall assessment of Ready Player Two and its 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 quality as a piece of literature? I never want to read it again. Well, I mean, nobody's going to ask you to read it again. I never want to think about it again. When writing my notes down for this book, I kept having to take a break because I was like, I don't want to think about this book. Yeah, there's so much hostility coming out of you about this book. I think the problem is like. I'm the exact kind of person these books should have been written for. 
Yeah. I love pop culture. I love ridiculous references. You I loved like Ready quests. Player One the first time you read it. Until I read it again. Yeah. <laughs> but like these kinds of things should be perfectly designed for my demographic and my personality. And it's wasted. Yeah, this one definitely wasn't. It was just completely wasted. I have no hope in any future movies, books. I just kind of want it to be over so we can get better things in the world that people might want to read and buy. Yes, let's come up with some new ideas out there. There's got to be something. Yeah, there's got to be. I've read so many books this year and so many of them were better than this and sold less than this. And had less press than this. Oh, that's one thing that does piss me off. Yeah, there's better books out there and they have gotten a lot less attention. So yeah, that's my thing. There are better books out there. And you should read those instead. I guess so. I mean, there are parts where I I kind of found it fun, but I know that if I read it, if I had to read it a second time, I would hate every moment of it. Yeah. Um, And like, I'm giving Ernest Cline like a, like maybe just a tiny gold star for trying just because he's, participation medal. Yeah. Cause he's, he's really getting it from both sides at this point. Um, I did like that. I liked the people who were annoyed by his <laughs> wokeness. It, it, it made me laugh and I loved their anger at it because their idea of wokeness is my idea of shit. Right. And it's giving him a, l- a way more credit than he deserves. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, so overall, I think I gave it, I gave it two and a half stars. I gave it two ish. But that's because I feel bad rating things one unless I stop reading them because I hate them so much. Okay. And because Goodreads won't let you give them zero. Okay. Well, you can just give it any rating you want when you're talking on a podcast. Yeah, but <laughs> I wanted to connect it. Okay. There could have, there were good ideas. They weren't realized. There was things introduced that were strange and had no purpose. And there were things that are introduced that should have been delved into deeper. And I say, don't read this. Yeah, that's a that's an accurate description of the whole book. Any last thoughts on uh, Ready Player Two before we wrap things up? We're done. I never have to think about this again. Woo! Yay! All right. Next time, we are going to be reading... I don't remember what it's called, but I remember it's by Emma Straub, who is the daughter of Peter Straub. Yes. Which I didn't know. All adults here. All Adults Here, of course, is the name of the book we're going to be discussing. By Emma Straub, the daughter of Peter Straub. Yes. Um, and what is that about? I didn't know I had to have a summary ready. I, yeah, I mean, we don't need a whole summary. Do you know anything about it? I know some things about it, but it's been a while since I looked it up, so let me just... Okay, everybody, just talk amongst yourselves while Reed looks it up. Whatever, I'm adorable. It's got queer people in it. Okay, well, that's good. That's a step in the right direction, I guess, unless they're Ernest Klein's type of queer people. It sounds like there are better types of queer people. And there's a trans person in it. But hopefully There's better. a trans person in Ready Player Two. They I, sound like the same book at this point. I said hopefully better. Okay, do you want me to read the, the back? I don't want you to read that much. Yeah, well, it's, I just meant that part. Okay. So, when Astrid witnesses a school bus accident in the center of town... It jostles loose her repressed memory from young parenting days decades earlier. Suddenly, Astrid realizes she was not quite the parent she thought she'd be to her three now-grown children. But to what consequences? And her children, like... She's kind of a lesbian now, Astrid. She's kind of a lesbian? Yeah, she doesn't really come out. She's just dating a woman for years. Uh, She has a 13-year-old granddaughter whose new friend is transgender or questioning their gender. And so there's a bit of interesting queerness going on okay. that we can explore. Yeah. And hopefully it's way better written. 
we can only hope that we'll get some quality representation from our next book. All right. See you, bitches. So um, I'm not sure when our next one's going to be out. We are not quite as much on a schedule at the moment, but we might get our shit together. You never know. Um, In the meantime, um, we will be reading and working on... I forgot the name of the book again. (laughs) All Adults Here by Emma Straub. That's right. And uh, thank you, everybody, who has always listened to the podcast and any new listeners we have. We thank you for listening, and we will... See you next time. Thanks for having me. We're here, we're queer, we're reading books. Oh my God. (laughs) Okay, bye.